So welcome this morning. It's great to see you. It's great to see so many new faces as well, people. If you're here visiting, you're very welcome. It's great to have you with us. And today, I hope we've all had a great Easter. I wonder if we weighed ourselves as a church this week, whether we'd be collectively heavier than we were last week after all Easter. Did anyone, anyone overdo it on the Easter eggs? Nick Gillard, you're a very honest man. Laura, well done. I was actually very good. I just had two cream eggs per hour. And um, <laughs> we are the week after Easter now. Leading up to Easter, we, we looked at a series on Jesus, uh, as you do as a church, and we were looking at some of his I am sayings. And the very last one we did in the week before Easter deliberately was I am the resurrection and the life. And we really focused, Matt did put a, a really great word on actually focusing on how the resurrection changes our attitude and our, and our, our look at death and what death looks like in the light of the resurrection. And now, a week after um, Easter, this is a one-off preach, it's not, um, it's not part of a series, but I just wanted to follow up with actually looking at what resurrection means for our lives, not just what it does to our attitude towards death, but what does living in the light of a resurrected Jesus Christ look like? So we're going to look at that, we're going to use one of the, one of the passages where Jesus appears to his disciples after his death, after his resurrection even, uh, and we're going to really focus on how, that, how Jesus being alive Jesus being alive actually affects us. He didn't just die for us, he rose for us. And what does that mean for our lives today? So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, would you turn to John, uh, Gospel of John in the New Testament, fourth book in, and it's chapter 20. And it's just a short passage, actually. We're just going to read four, four or five verses, verses 19 to 23. So on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Just a short, a short passage to look at today. Let's, let's try and set the scene here a bit. We've got the disciples. It says it's the evening of the first day. That means it's actually still Easter Sunday. Still the day that Jesus actually rose from the dead. That was the first day of the week. And where are the disciples? Well, actually, let's try and get into their heads a bit. Let's try and understand their mindset a bit. There's 11 disciples left. Judas, we know by now, is, has gone. He's actually hung himself, having betrayed Jesus and, and suddenly realized that wasn't a great idea. Um, and now we've got these disciples left and they, they, they've just spent three years with this incredible guy, Jesus. And these people have given up everything to follow him. They've given up homes, families, careers to wholeheartedly be with Jesus. They've traveled with him all over on this long journey. They've watched him perform miracles. They've heard him teach the most groundbreaking and some of the most controversial words ever spoken. Words which had caused quite a stir in the Jewish culture of the time. And at one point, Peter, the, I guess the most senior of the disciples, had made a startling confession of faith. When Jesus had said, who do you say I am? The disciples had heard Peter say, you're the Messiah. You're God. 
And that was a claim that Jesus affirmed. And then the disciples have traveled with Jesus into Jerusalem, the holy city, certain that he's about to do something special. He's going to lead the Jewish people out of their oppressed state, out of of Roman rule, and reestablish the people of Israel as as the sort of the ruling people in that city. Reestablish God's people once and for all. That's what they think Jesus is going to do. If he's the Messiah, that's what he's going to do. He's going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. In the back of their minds, Jesus has made a few weird statements along the way. He's talked about dying. He's talked about being sacrificed. But let's, let's put that to one side. He doesn't really mean that. I mean, Jesus isn't going to die. He's the Messiah. He's prone to saying some pretty crazy things. Let's just get to Jerusalem and see what happens. And then they, they watched him. They've been with him as he enters the city, riding on a donkey, and he was hailed, wasn't he? Triumphantly, the king. People threw their coats down. They threw their, their palm branches down. They, they just shouted praise to Jesus. People lined the streets to see this amazing guy come in. And now here we are a week later. It seems like an awful long time ago. You know, the people of, the disciples of Jesus had always known that Jesus wasn't that popular with the rulers of the Jewish faith, the Pharisees, the scribes. But they hadn't realized just how much trouble he was in. In less than a week, that triumph, that glorious entry into Jerusalem had become a nightmare. Jesus was arrested. He was tried. He was tortured. And he was brutally executed for committing no crime at all. So how are these disciples feeling now? I'd say shell-shocked. Devastated. Had they just wasted three years of their lives? Had they backed the wrong horse? Had they put all their eggs in this Jesus basket? And now they've got nothing. A dead teacher. And also I'd say they're probably feeling pretty guilty and ashamed. Because they knew that Jesus, they'd watched him go through such pain, such brutality. And what had they done? They'd legged it. They'd legged it. They'd run away, fearing for their own safety. And Peter, the most senior of the disciples, the one who Jesus had given so much praise to, had even denied three times to someone that he even knew Jesus. Ah, you got it wrong. I don't know, I don't know this guy. It's nothing to do with me. There's going to be some shame there. And also, do you know what? They're feeling, they're in big trouble. They're in big trouble. Their master is dead. The guy they've followed, the guy they've proclaimed as Messiah is dead. So what now of his most passionate followers? Surely the disciples are next on the list for the Jewish people. Surely the Jewish leaders are going to come for them now. They are trapped in Jerusalem. As you know, Peter's already been recognized and had to deny Jesus to save his own skin. Surely it's a matter of time now that they're going to be found out They had to hide, and that's where we find them in this passage. They're keeping a low profile. They're trapped in this room, this upper room, hiding away, hoping that all this is going to blow over, and at some point they can make their escape. They can get the heck out of Jerusalem, where all this has happened, and just get on with their lives. Feeling all that. And yet, is there a glimmer of hope? Because something weird has happened today, on the Sunday. Some of Jesus' female followers have come and found the disciples with this crazy report. He's alive. The tomb's empty. He's not there. I've seen him, Mary says. I've met him. He is alive. I saw him clear as day. And the disciples are like, what? Surely not. I mean, if anyone could do it, we've seen him work miracles, but 
Surely not. We saw him die. We saw him executed. But he did raise some other people from the dead. He rose Lazarus from the dead. Maybe he can raise himself. But can Mary be trusted? I mean, is she not just hysterical with grief? Is this just not all got to her mentally, that she's just seeing things, seeing what she wants to see? Do you know what? At this point, none of the disciples are prepared to risk their lives for rumor. They've heard Mary come and tell them that Jesus is alive, but none of them have left the room. None of them have gone out and said, okay, he's alive, everyone. They're not prepared to risk it for that. So all they continue to do is to lie low and to wait and to make plans to eventually disappear. And then we read that the doors are locked because they're in fear of the Jews. And amazingly, this is where Jesus comes in. There's 10 disciples in the room. We know Thomas isn't there. And Judas is dead, but there's 10 of them left in this room. And suddenly they realize Jesus is in the room. He's here. He's here. He shows them his scars. He speaks to them. He eats. He drinks. He's alive. Where's he come from? The door's locked. How did he get in? But as real as I am talking to you right now, Jesus is there and with them. Scarred, battered, but alive. And this is an incredibly powerful and important moment. The moment where disciples move from fear and hopelessness and pain to joy and confidence and purpose. And I want to look today at three things about this encounter with the resurrected Jesus, what they meant for the disciples and what they mean for us today. Three Ps, if you will, um, which apply because Jesus has risen. And the first P is this, peace. If you've just risen from the dead, if you've just risen from the dead and you appear into your friends and family for the first time, what do you think you'd say? What would be your opening gambit? Because I think mine would be like, guys, look at me. I'm alive, I was dead, I'm not, how awesome is this? It's cool. It's not quite how Jesus plays it. His very first words are this, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Words he repeats shortly after, and then eight days later when he, when he meets with the disciples again, and Thomas is there this time, he says exactly the same opening line, peace be with you. And I think that says a lot about Jesus. Because his first thought is not for himself, and not how amazing he is, it rises from the dead. But it's, his thought is for the disciples. He knows what they must be going through right now. He knows the intense emotional moment they're in. They're twisted up with grief and shame and fear. He knows the torment they're experiencing, the whirlwind of pain and confusion, the questions they must have, the complaints they must have, and the embarrassment and the shame they must be feeling. And now, shock. The shock of seeing a dead man alive in their midst. The man they've been mourning and grieving is now very, very clearly alive and well. So Jesus doesn't do a Miley Cyrus and come in like a wrecking ball. That's one for the young ones. Um, (laughs) I'm almost cool. I mean, (laughs) I'm only like, it's like five years old, that song as well, isn't it? I'm just nowhere with it. Um, He comes in with peace and reassurance. Straight away, he just says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's okay, guys. I know. I know you feel like you're going crazy right now. But be calm. I'm here. It's okay. I'm alive. Be at peace. It's going to be all right. I think it's a beautiful moment. 
And it's one that we shouldn't be surprised at because Jesus was always supposed to be this guy, the Prince of Peace. That's what he was promised to be in the book of Isaiah, the prophecy which speaks of Jesus hundreds of years before he even arrived. He's described as the Prince of Peace. And the disciples have already seen him bringing peace in his lifetime. They've seen him calming storms, casting out crazy demons, diffusing explosive situations. Jesus is peace. And now in the most difficult moments of the disciples' lives, here he is again bringing peace. And you know what? He's not changed. Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. He brings peace to us today. So many times I've experienced that peace myself in, in the most difficult situations, the most intense emotional situations. There comes an amazing confidence and peace that can only be from God. In fact, Philippians talks about the peace of God which surpasses or transcends all understanding. can't even explain it. How he gives us this peace in the most difficult moments of our lives. God has this ability, Jesus has this ability to bring peace. There's a story I love, it's actually my dad. My dad's a, a vicar. And in one of his churches, there were, uh, there were some young girls, uh, teenage girls who were in a Christian school. They were, they were part of the church, they were Christians themselves. And they came to church and they told them, told people in the church about one of their friends in school, it was actually a Muslim girl uh, from a family, a family based in Saudi Arabia. And this girl actually had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And the girls had come to church and said, can we pray for our friend? We just love to pray for her. And they, and they told her, their Muslim friend that they were going to pray for her. And the family of this girl was so touched that they came to the church to thank the church and say, look, we really, we're just so amazed that you would pray for us, that you know, we're not part of the same faith, but we're just really touched that God's, you're doing that for us. And amazingly, it's an amazing story. Actually, they ended up, the parents ended up coming on an alpha course. And, and got to the point of actually giving their lives to Jesus. Um, amazing story. But the daughter did not get better. She was still terminally ill. And actually, at the moment of, of wanting to commit to God and wanting to give their lives to Jesus, they were really aware of the incredible controversy and danger that they were putting themselves in as a family because of their situation back in Saudi Arabia. They would be cut off from their family. They could even be threatened with, with all sorts, including death, when they get back. And they were wanting to go back to live in Saudi Arabia at some point. So you can imagine the turmoil and the stress and the pain that they're in. Their daughter is at death's door. They're finding this incredible new faith in God, but it could be death to them. And it got to the point on the Alpha Course where, where they talked about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we talk about the Holy Spirit is the gifts that he gives us. And one of the things he gives us is, is the gift of tongues which is a language, a language that God gives us to communicate with him. When, when we don't have any words, we just have this, this, this amazing language. Scripture talks about it. And my dad was praying with the, with the father of this, uh, of this family. And he just, as, he's, as he prayed for him, my dad just gently just spoke in tongues. As, as my dad was just communicating to God, he just spoke in tongues, natural outpouring of, of that language. And he just prayed in tongues, prayed over the guy, and that was the end of it. And then the guy said, do you know Arabic? Can you speak Arabic? And my dad's like, no. I said, why? He said, well, he said, as you spoke to me, I don't know what language you were speaking, but clear as a bell, three times in perfect Arabic, you said, all is well. All is well. 
as well. And I, I just had this peace. I just had this peace that came. And, and I, I don't understand it, but it came. And, and I know even though I'm facing my daughter's death, and I know even though I'm facing possible excommunication and maybe even death in my home, I'm just, I just felt God speak to me more as well. It's amazing, isn't it, how God does this. He's an incredible God who can bring peace in even the most difficult, horrible, painful situations. You know, the peace that Jesus offers to us is a huge part of resurrection life. It's a huge part of it. That Jesus is stronger than death gives us so much comfort in such difficult situations. But sometimes we need a reminder. And just think, you might be thinking of situations right now where you're just facing and you're just like, I just need peace. I just need that dose of peace. I, I, I'm not feeling it. I need it. And I would love to spend some time this morning at the end maybe praying with you. If you're feeling that this morning, you're just needing the peace of God. I'd love to pray for you. But you know what? There's another element to this peace. It's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling of peace when we're stressed and down. That's, that's there, but that's not the only peace that Jesus brings in resurrection. There's something a lot more profound going on as well when he declares these words because Jesus' resurrection is not just the victory of one man over death. It is the victory of God over sin. It is the victory of God over sin. Because all of us, but for Jesus, do you know this? We are at war. Paul, one of the most influential Christians that ever lived, talks about it at length in Romans 5. He talks about us being enemies of God. When we were God's enemies, when we were sinners... When we didn't know Jesus, we're enemies of God. We, we sung it in one of our songs this morning. Did you notice? When I, was still off, when I was still your foe, your love came and looked at me, I think it said something like that. We're enemies of God. We were at war with God because of our sin. We were at war with God. That's consistent in Scripture. The evidence of our lives is we see a God who loves us and wants relationship with the people he created. And in return, we outright reject God. We choose our own ways. We turn our back on him. We live the lives we want to live. And we sin. Chris talked about it last week on Easter Sunday. So sin is to miss the mark. To miss God's standards. To not hit the target. And when we do that, we alienate, we are alienated from God. We can't be with him. We can't be in relationship with him. He's holy and perfect. And we're sinful and fallen. And the natural consequence of that rebellion, the wages of sin, as Paul calls it, is death. This is a war we're going to lose. We choose sin, which we all do. We receive death. And that is eternal separation from God. That's the deal. We try as hard as we can to be good. As hard as we can. We can do it. But it won't be enough. We are at war with God because we are sinners. But God has a solution. He sends his son into the battle. Actually, the enemy is sin. The result was going to be death, but God sent his son, Jesus, to die that death for us. To take the death that we deserve, the consequences we deserve for our sin, and experience it himself, and then smash it. He rises from the dead. He defeats sin. He defeats death. He conquers it. And now we have an enemy that cannot defeat us. Death is defeated. Sin can try and make us battle with God. It can try and score points. Paul later talks about the ongoing battle we have with sin, but it's a battle that can't be won by sin. If we accept the sacrifice Jesus makes for us, 
then an end to our war with God is declared. And so when Jesus says, peace be with you, he means it in the most literal sense. The war is over. The war is done. We are at peace with God in Jesus. Our lives can forever be in this state of peace. We're no longer God's enemies. It's not true anymore. We're his children. Do you understand that? Life in the light of resurrection is a life of peace with God. And if this morning you know you're not in p- at peace with God, if you know actually you feel you're still an enemy, you feel actually I've not accepted Jesus' sacrifice for me, I know I'm, I'm not there yet, then there's a chance for you this morning to share in that victory and to be at peace with God. I want to pray for you later. The second P, we've done peace, this is now presence. You know, in, in the 40 days within Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, the Bible tells us that he appeared to more than 500, sorry, he appeared to more than 500 people. And at key moments, he made himself present with disciples and others, and he imparted more wisdom and more truth, just as he'd done before he died. But there was a difference. These appearances were sporadic, and they were temporary. And whereas before, the disciples basically accompanied Jesus wherever he went. Now, they're restricted to only spending time with Jesus when he showed up. And they were powerful, life-changing moments, but they were fleeting. When, in this encounter with Jesus, we see a change. We see something incredible happen. Because it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's a precursor of what happens later in, in Acts, at Pentecost, when we read about the Holy Spirit descending on a large crowd of people. In tongues of fire. Do you know, this is a massive deal. This is an altering of the dynamic of the relationship between God and us. Jesus and humanity. Because in sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus enters our hearts as a permanent presence. Can you see the difference? Before Jesus died, it was a pursued presence. The disciples saw Jesus and they pursued him. They followed him. They attached themselves to him, just went everywhere that he went. And then when he died and rose again, and those 40 days before he ascended to heaven, it was a partial presence. Jesus would show up sometimes and spend time with the disciples. And it was quality time, but it was partial. It wasn't permanent. But now, after his ascension, when he breathes the Holy Spirit out, we have the permanent presence of Jesus in our lives by the Spirit. That is incredible. Permanent presence of God. In Acts 1, Jesus promises the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He tells the disciples they will receive power when they're baptized. And in Acts 2, in Pen- at the time of Pentecost, we see this moment where the Holy Spirit comes as promised, and we see instant results. I mean, if you want to see an instant life transformed by the presence of God, look at Peter. This man who just weeks earlier, denied Jesus even existed or denied he even knew him. And then met the risen God but still was hiding and then suddenly receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He stands up and preaches the most powerful, incredible preach ever and sees 3,000 people saved on the spot in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the presence of God does. It takes him from weak, loser, it's a confident, godly man. And we see this explosion of the Spirit. 
We see this church just spring up out of nowhere. Thousands of believers suddenly are there. And these are guys who haven't met the risen Jesus. They haven't had the experience people have. They haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. But suddenly the power of the Spirit is undeniable. Something's going on. Incredible transformation comes with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The other week I preached on the incarnation, those of you who are here, and we talked about that radical, incredible moment that Jesus came to earth as a human being. What an amazing thing to happen. What an incredible thing to happen, that God would come to earth and live as a human being. But you know what, I'd argue that this is possibly even more radical. Here we see not God coming to live as a human being on earth, but coming to live in us. He's in us. That Jesus would send his very presence to be in our hearts permanently. We've gone from being so isolated, so anti-God, that we can't even be in his presence. To being so transformed that he can live in us. Do you get how radical that is? How amazing that is? We're so loved and accepted that the God who once couldn't even be near us is now in us. That's phenomenal. And you know what? It leads me to challenge and comment on one of my pet hates. Um, we use these throwaway lines in churches often about the presence of God. Oh Lord, we just invite you here today. Lord, would you come and be among us today? Oh, I think I really feel like God's going to turn up today. Or do you know what? I didn't really feel God was there this morning. Just didn't get into the presence of God. You, you hear those comments? Well, do you know what? This is basic. If you're here, he's here. Because he's in us. If you've accepted Jesus, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, God is in you. Not in a namby-pamby, polytheistic way that, oh, God's everywhere. He's in your heart by his Spirit. This is scriptural truth. There are times, sure, when we're less aware of him. There are times where we put blocks up and we ignore his presence. There are times when he might not feel so close, whether that's our fault or what, but he is in us, and he's never not in us. And if you're feeling like God isn't there, then actually the problem's probably with us, not, not him. I don't think I'm being controversial there. That's what scripture says. He's in us. It's not like inviting someone to your house and hoping they turn up. He's already sat in your lounge. He's already there. 1 Corinthians, just to give you a bit of scriptural proof that I'm not making this up. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit whom you have received from God? That's what our bodies are. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives and dwells and presences himself in us. Is that clear enough? You know, if we're not experiencing the presence of God, then we need to press into him more because he is there and I think we often tune him out. The big deal about resurrection living is that Jesus is present in us permanently. And you know what? I'm not going to go too far into that today because I want to encourage you again, please come to the weekend away because we're going to spend the whole weekend focusing on the Holy Spirit. Dave and Liz Holden are going to speak to us. They're going to speak to us powerfully. I believe they're going to minister to us powerfully. And there's going to be a lot of time and space to explore the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, as well, come on Wednesday night. Come on Wednesday night to dwell for our worship evening. It's an opportunity to press into, the, into God and to really just know that he's there. 
We're not going to invite him. He's coming. He's there with us. But come and spend that time. Make that time in your diary. Make that time in your calendar to be just so aware of God's presence and just push into him. Okay, that's the second P, presence. The third P is a silent P. (laughs) (laughs) Sending. (laughs) You knew there was a silent P in sending, didn't you? It's like pterodactyl or psychology, the silent P. (laughs) I might have cheated a bit. (laughs) I couldn't think of a third P, all right? (laughs) The final thing we have, life in the the light of the resurrection, we've got the peace of God, we've got the, the presence of God, and now also we have the sending of God. We are sent by God into the world. You know, this peace and this power, they're not just there for just to make us feel good. You know that? They're great. They're wonderful things. The peace of God, the presence of God in our lives. Fantastic. But that's not it. We're not just told, here you go, here's my peace, here's my presence. Just sit back and enjoy it. No. We're sent. We're sent. Jesus clearly instructs his followers to share what he has given them. Uh, peace be with us. The Father has sent me. I am sending you. So through this new relationship with God, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're called to bring that peace and to bring that presence of God to the world around us. And it is incredible grace of God that he would choose us and to use us in the expansion of his kingdom. You know what? He doesn't need to use us. He doesn't. He can do it himself. But he chooses to involve us. He gives us the honor and the privilege weak and feeble as we are to be involved and to use us. And how well do we do? Well, sometimes better than others. We put on alpha courses, we invite people to events, hopefully we engage, I hope you engage with non-Christians in your, in your lives. If all, your, if all the people you're seeing in your lives are people in church and Christians, please get out more because we're, we are sent to the world. We are sent to bring the peace of God and the presence of God to the world, not just to each other. We need to be engaged in the world. We need to know non-Christians so that they have a chance to know who God is. I do feel sometimes we can be a bit lukewarm with this. I do feel that. I do think sometimes, I know I am. I know there are times when I just don't take the opportunity enough where I do spend most of my time with, with other Christians and I love that time but I'm sent. I've not just been sent to have a lovely time with you guys, lovely as it is. We've been sent on a mission to this city and to this nation. And again, I look at that amazing transformation of Peter in Acts from going from a quivering wreck to a fearless preacher. He became one of the most important people in the early church, spreading the gospel far and wide. Why? Because he experienced the peace and presence of God of the resurrected Jesus, and he responded obediently. Now, look, we're not all going to be Peters. Peter was given a very, very specific, powerful calling by Jesus. He was told, you're going to be the rock on which I build my church. We're not all called to be Peters. But, nevertheless, we are given a great commission. We are sent to go and make disciples. To go and make disciples.
and this is really important. We had when Nick Harding from Frontline came and spoke to us. We had lunch with him afterwards. And he said something so obvious and so profound, but just it just really sank into my heart. He said, "You know, too often we get caught up in building church. God said that I will build my church. His message to us is to go and make disciples. We're not to be so caught up in the structures and the organisation and the making of a church. Our call is to go and make disciples." God will build the church. We need to go and make disciples. That's on all of us, not just the Peters, not just the Pauls. It's on all of us to go out into the world. And can I encourage you, please do it. And if you're finding your time filled up too much with church stuff, don't come to some of the church stuff. <laughs> please come to church. But you know what I mean? Like if, if you're finding five days a week, you're spending time with your Christian friends and you're not, you, you cannot name a single non-Christian friend in your life, please, that's, something's got to change. Something's got to change. We're not going to reach the city if all we do is spend time with each other. I'm not knocking the time we spend together. Please don't hear that. We're called to be a community. And one of the big attractions to non-Christians is the community they find in the church. We love that. It's special. But it's not all. It's not all, is it? We've got to get out. We've got to influence the world. We've got to meet people. We've got to go, we've got to go and infiltrate as many sectors and industries and parts of life as possible. I love the fact in our church, the range of jobs we have, the range of places. We've got people in, in the games industry, in National Health Service, in steel, whatever happens in steel, uh, in accounting, in charity, in, in probation service, in football clubs, in magazine production, you know, we've got people all over the place in all sorts of different things, and that's so important. We've got to engage with the world. We are sent. We are sent, and we are sent to bring the peace that we have found and the presence that we have to be with the world. We want to see the city change. That's what this church is here for. We're not just here to have a good time on a Sunday morning. We're here to change the city as God leads us. So I want to encourage us to step, to step it up. Starting this week, we've got the Alpha course starting next Sunday. It's a really easy invite. The worst thing that can happen is if someone says no. It's not that big a deal. They say no, they say no, you move on. But what an opportunity to go out and say, guys, I want to tell you something about, I want you to know the peace of God. I want you to know, want you to know the presence of God. Why, why don't you come and ask some questions? Come and find out. We're going to be on Allerton Road on Tuesday, 2 o'clock. Please come down. Help us just give some flyers out. Again, the worst thing that someone says is, no, I don't want flyer, thank you very much. It's all. Just come and get out there. Come and be with us. Come and reach this city. The peace of God and the presence of God, we have them, but they're not just ours to keep. We've got to share them. I think that's all I've got to say this morning. I wanna, we're going to finish with some worship, but I, I do want to spend some time just praying with people. Um, if you're feeling this morning, like I said before, just... The peace of God is lacking at the moment. You've got some sort of issue, some sort of situation, family situation, a work situation, a health situation, whatever it is, and you're just you're just desperate for, for the peace of God. You're just not feeling it. I'd love to pray with you this morning. There's other people who pray with you too. Because that is for you. God wants us to know his peace. He wants us to know his peace. And let me tell you, it's so incredibly special, so incredibly comforting. There's not a situation in the world that God's peace cannot transform. It surpasses all understanding. So please, if that's you this morning, I'll just be at the back.
come and find me or come and find one of your leaders or just even just turn to the person next to you. Please just receive some prayer this morning. Receive some peace. Secondly, if you know this morning you haven't got God in your heart, if you know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is not in you, if you know that you've never turned to God and said, I accept Jesus, I'd love to pray with you this morning. There's an opportunity to do that. If you know this morning that actually you're at war with God and you want that war to end and you want the peace to come, let's pray with you this morning. I'd love for you to take the opportunity. Come and seek me out and we'll, we'll pray. And can I just encourage us, just that challenge that we are sent. We are sent. I don't speak any of that to condemn us, to criticise us, but please just hear those words. We are sent. Not just to this room on a Sunday morning. We are sent to this city with the peace and the presence of God to change this city. And God wants to do such incredible things in Liverpool. I believe that. That's why we're here. We came to Liverpool because we were called to this city to see something incredible happen. You know what? This is great, but it ain't it. I don't think we've seen it yet. I don't think we've even started to see it yet. There's more. We are sent. We are sent here, but with power and presence and peace of God. That is light in the life of the resurrection, guys. It's not just a oh, lovely chocolatey Sunday and that's the end of it. The light in the light of the resurrection is powerful and there's ascending to it from it.